Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Mark chapter number 13, the book of Mark and chapter number 13. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word, and we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us this morning. In fact, if you don't have a Bible at all, that, that copy of the Bible that's right there in front of you, that would be our gift to you. We give that to you. We want you to take that with you as you go from this place. We believe there's nothing more important than having a copy of God's Word in your hand, in your home, and in your heart. So we want to give that to you on your way out here this morning. Mark chapter 13. So make your way to the New Testament. Across the top, you're going to find the word Mark. And then you're going to look for the big number 13. That's Mark chapter 13. We're going to hang out verse number 4, 5, 6, and 7 this morning. Mark chapter 13, verse number 4. That's the small number. Big number 13, small number 4. Did you find it? If you found it, say, I found it. All right, sounds like we're all there. Let's stand together out of respect of the reading of the word of God. Stand with me if you're willing and able. Mark chapter 13, look with me at verse number four. Disciples are saying to Jesus here, tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquake in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrow. Jesus is in a last sermon that he'll deliver to his disciples that's recorded for us as he makes his way to the cross in the next few chapters. He's telling his disciples that the end is coming. The world will one day come to an end. Jesus has already told them that as they think about how the world will end, that he wants them to live with confidence. That's what we talked about last week. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. That they can live with confidence as they consider the end of the world. Now you remember last week we pointed this out. That there are lots of people trying to predict the end of the world. But how many of you know last Monday came and went and the world did not stop. Here we still are. Jesus says that no man knows the day or the hour except God. Anybody telling you that they know when the world is going to end is wrong. But that doesn't mean that the world isn't going to end. Jesus is telling his disciples, God is in control of this. But as you move to the end, there are certain things you can be assured of are going to happen. 
Jesus isn't so interested in giving us a chronological order. On this date, this will happen. On this date, this will happen. On this date, this will happen. But Jesus is attempting to fill our hearts with courage of what we need to know as we approach the end. And what he has said already is he said, you can live with confidence. How do we live with confidence? Live for the glory of God. That's what he said in verse number one. Don't live for yourself, live for him. Don't live for here and now, live for then and there. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Live for the glory of God. He said also, listen to the word of God. Listen to the word of God, not your own feelings, not what the culture says, not what society says, not what men say. Don't, don't live as a man pleaser. Instead, live as a God pleaser. Listen to the word of God. And then he said third, this is verse number three, take your worries to God. Peter, James, Andrew, John, they, they all go to Jesus. They're troubled by what they heard and they all go to Jesus. You can take your worries to the Lord. You can take your troubles to God. And when you do this, you will find courage. But here's what he's saying now. Not just live with confidence. He's saying second. Live with discernment. That as the world ends, we need good discernment. Notice what he says. Verse 5. Take heed lest any man, here's the word, deceive you. So what he's saying is, pay close attention. P pay close attention as the world is spiraling out of control and, uh, by our understanding. Pay close attention lest you be deceived. So how can we make sure that we are not deceived? Well, we need to live with discernment. We're going to look at this this morning. How, how we live with discernment. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The question that faces all of us is, is how do we live? How should we live in this day, in this age, in this time, in this year, in this moment? How, how should we live? What, what, what does God want from us? What does God say to us? What, what of the things of our world are from God? And what are the things, a part of our world, that are not from God? What's right? What's wrong? What's spiritual? What's carnal? In other words, what's of God and what's of the flesh? Are, are we meant to just blindly wander our way through life, trying to figure out right or wrong based on our own mood? based on our own feeling, based on our own idea. This is the way in which most people approach the world. Right or wrong is based off of how you feel in the moment. So they're, they're living a relative life. Everything is subjective to whatever the circumstance may be, whatever mood they may be in. This is how they are determining what they are trying to do. Is this the way in which God intends for us to live? Of course not. But how do, we, how do we know the ways in which we are to live, the things in which we are to do? How are we discerning right and wrong, truth and error? How are we discerning the ways in which we should go and the ways in which we should not go? Now, now you think about it. The disciples walked with Jesus for three and a half years. 
They listened to Jesus teach. They saw Jesus perform miracles. They even performed miracles themselves. And yet, many of the disciples missed what Jesus was trying to tell them. Have you thought about this? That with all that you and I know, it's possible that we do not know all there is to know? With everything we know, it's quite possible that we do not know it all. The disciples, they, they know a lot, and yet they miss it. And you and I, although we may know a lot, and we may have a lot of knowledge at our fingertips, it's quite possible that we miss what God has for us. And so Jesus is saying this here, it's quite possible for the disciples to be led astray. In fact, there is a disciple who is led astray. Do you remember his name? What was his name? Judas. Judas Iscariot, who knew Jesus, knew what Jesus was going to do, listened to Jesus teach, watched Jesus perform miracles, walked step in step with Jesus for three and a half years, and yet Judas still missed it. Now, you and I can be very guilty of the same thing of thinking, well, I'm not like Judas. I'm not going to miss it. I already know it all. I've got, I've got my church membership badge. I've got my church attendance badge. I've got my religious badge. And yet, it's quite possible that we would be like Judas, that we would be like the other disciples, in that we would be led astray. And Jesus is warning his disciples. Look at verse 5. Take heed. This could happen to you. That's what he's saying. Take heed, lest any man deceive you. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. Paul says something very similar. Paul says, prove all things. He is saying, don't just go through the motions of life. Don't just listen to your own heart or feelings. Don't just come up with your own ideas. No, no, no. Prove all things. Take what you hear. Use discernment as you navigate it. Prove all things. And then he says, hold fast to that which is good or that which is right. That which is in line with the word of God. And then abstain from all the other appearances of evil. So anything that looks evil or smells evil or talks evil or walks evil is probably evil. And Paul is telling the church, you need to prove it, which means you need to use discernment about all that comes your way in order to know what is good, hold to it, and in order to know what is evil, flee from it, run from it, forsake it. As the end draw near, false teachers, false doctrines, false salvation, it will, it will increase. And why does it increase? Well, it increases because people are not studying to show themselves approved unto God. People are not using discernment in their life. People are not rightly dividing the word of truth. People have lost a Berean spirit. That, that is which where they are searching the scriptures to see if the things are so. How, how many of you have learned this? Just because it has the name Christian does not mean it is from God. Just because it has the name God does not mean it is in fact from God. Just because it presents itself to represent God or his word or his spirit, it does not necessarily mean that it is, which is why we need discernment. 
Paul writes to the church and says, in the last days, there will be a great falling away from the faith. There will be many people who pretended to have faith. They, they maybe even thought they had faith, but in fact, they weren't living for God's glory. They were living for their own glory. They weren't living for the things of eternity. They were living for the things of the earth. They weren't bringing their worries to God because they had a personal relationship with God and they could cast all their care on God because he cared for them. No, no, no. They had no relationship with God and instead of taking their worries to God, they bound them all up in themselves and their people given over to a spirit of anxiety and depression and frustration and anger and contempt which fills the culture in which we live right now. So Paul or Jesus is telling us, you, as the end approaches, you need to be aware that there is a great spiritual deception. Three things. Number one, there's a great spiritual deception. How do we live with discernment? We must recognize there is a great spiritual deception. Look at verse 6. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Skip down in the chapter, skip the verse 21. And then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, here he is, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders and seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take heed, behold, I have foretold, all, I have foretold you all things. He is saying there is going to be an increase of spiritual deception. Did you know this, that in the, in the last 50 years alone, there have been over a thousand individuals who have come onto the world scene, who have presented themselves as Christ or as the Messiah? Can we just go on record here and say this? Anyone who is trying to tell you that they are the Messiah, just know this, they're not the Messiah. Anyone coming to you and telling you they are the Christ, know this, they're not Christ. Do you know why? Because Christ has already come and Christ has already went. And Christ, when he came, came in humility. And Christ, when he came, died on the cross to make it a way possible for us to be made right with God. And Christ, the Bible teaches us, sits at this very moment at the right hand of the throne of God. And Christ, when he comes again, he will not come in humility. He will not come clothed in, a ba in, in swaddling clothes in a manger. No, no, no. Christ, when he comes again, he dons his warrior garment. He gets on his warrior horse. He grabs his sword and he descends from heaven, the Bible says, and all eyes will see him. He will not, the next time he comes, he will not come in humility. He will come in power and you will know that he is God. This is what the Bible is teaching over and over again. So obviously it is true in Jesus' day that there were charlatans on the scene. There were false prophets. There were false Christ. But hear me, friend. That is not just limited to the time of Christ. That is not just limited to the time of the New Testament. That takes place even today. Individual, individuals who are mismanaging the words of God. They're attempting to portray themselves even as God. 
Many of you remember this. We were in Israel. I think we have this picture. We were in Israel. We're standing outside of the church of the sepulcher. And there's this fellow down here in the bottom uh, right-hand corner. This fellow has all of his Jesus garb on. And he comes walking out of the church of the sepulcher. And as we're all standing there looking into the church building, our guide, Avi, he leans over to me. He turns off his microphone. He leans over to me and he says, you see that guy? That guy thinks he's Jesus. And he's coming out of the, out of the church of the sepulcher. And he goes, I am Jesus. I am risen. And he's walking across. He's saying, follow me. And you'll notice no one is following him, right? And he leans, Avi leans over to me and he says, everyone makes these journeys. We have thousands of people come here all throughout the year pretending to be Jesus. This is not something that's just regulated to the time of the New Testament. This takes place even today. Those who are mismanaging the words of Christ, those who are presenting themselves even as Christ, those who have reduced the sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of the word of God. Those who have come along the way and said, have said things like, well, Christ was a nice prophet for a time, but I am the prophet for this time. Individuals like Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, who sinfully slept with 12 different women, taught all kinds of deviant acts which violate the word of God and the spirit of God, and then invented his own religion in order to justify the things that he had done. This is not from God. There's a great spiritual deception in the land. And this is what Jesus is warning us about. Be, be aware. There's a great wickedness abound. Be aware. There's a great wickedness that abounds. And that great wickedness, I will tell you this, my friend, that great wickedness often comes in the smallest perversion of the truth. And takes the truth and it just twists it just a little. It sounds really close and yet it is not from God. And Jesus says, many, notice the verse, verse 6, many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. And many will follow them. Why? Because they did not pay attention to who Jesus is. They did not listen to the things that Jesus said. They did not, they did not notice the things that Jesus did. So you didn't understand this. That there's no, there's no safety in numbers as it relates to your relationship with God. You either have a relationship with God or you do not have a relationship with God. It is that simple. There's no, well, I'm in by proxy. No, 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 friend. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today? Well, my dad went to church and my dad was a pastor. Listen, friend, God has no grandchildren. He is either your father or he is not your father. And you have another father, which is the devil, the Bible says. You are either in the family of God or you are out of the family of God. And that is based on your understanding of what you have done with the message of Jesus Christ. But notice this, in, in the end... There's less and less an emphasis on the word of God. There's more and more an emphasis on the personality, on the opinion. Churches take an emphasis off of the Bible. They put an emphasis on feelings, on felt needs. 
Instead of putting an emphasis where, the, where God puts an emphasis, which is in his word. And as a result of this, what happens in the church is what James writes to the church and warns them about. He says, be careful that you do not become like little children who are just blown about with every wind of doctrine. Every new thing that comes along the way. And you're jumping on that for a little while. And then you're jumping on that for a little while. And then you're jumping on that for a little while. Friend, we have all we need in the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Notice this, the, the reason why so many are led astray. I want, I want to show you this verse. Go, go backwards in your Bible. Go to 1 Peter. I'm sorry, go to 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. The Apostle Peter warning about this very same thing. He is saying there will be many people who will be given over to a spiritual deception. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number, uh, verse number 1. If you get there, say, I'm there. All right, sounds like a majority to me. Here we go, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that, that bought them, and bringing unto themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You notice this? What is the reason that they're led astray? By reason of whom? Not by reason of what, but who? They're led astray because they're more centered on the personality than they are centered on the word of God. They're led astray because they're more enamored at the preacher than they are at the truth of the word of God. It doesn't matter if every preacher on the planet says one thing. If God says the other thing, let God be true and every man a liar. But there are many in the last days who are led astray by reason of whom. They've chosen to elevate a personality over an elevation of the truth of the word of God. Friend, this is why we preach the way we preach here at First Baptist. Next chapter, next verse. We go verse by verse through the word of God. Why? Well, first of all, because we need the word of God for our living. That all things necessary for life and godliness are found right in this book. That's the first reason. The second reason is because we as teachers and preachers and pastors want you to hold us accountable to what we are saying and hold us accountable to the word of God. There's a great spiritual deception, the Bible says. But notice second, there's social division. Look at verse number seven. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation is against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And read the headlines. All these countries who are desperately jockeying for position and power on the world stage. We are rapidly moving toward what the Lord is talking about here. 
I, I, need, I need you to understand this. Division is caused because of two reasons. Division is caused because of two reasons. Number one, worldliness. Number two, the flesh. The flesh. Division comes because of two reasons. Worldliness or the flesh. Worldliness, simply buying into the philosophy of the world. So, so whatever the attitude of the culture is, whatever the attitude of the world is, th things like materialism, Division is, division is caused when we give ourselves over to the attitude, to the, to the spirit of the age, materialism, relativism. When we give ourselves over to this kind of worldly thinking, these kind of worldly ideologies, these kind of worldly philosophies, division is caused. But the division is also caused because of the flesh. The flesh can be understood simply as self. So when we are operating selfishly, when I'm simply trying to do what is best for me and in no regards for you or for God or for others, when I am living my life saying this is what I want to do because I want to do it. And I know what God says and I don't care. Well, that brings division. That kind of selfish living, that kind of living according to the flesh Two things bring division. When we live according to worldliness and when we live according to our selfishness. And these things make the Christian life very difficult. Because as a Christian, you are going against the current of the world. All of the New Testament authors are telling you this. You do not think the way the world thinks. You do not act the way the world acts. You do not see the world the way that the world sees itself. So he's telling you in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be taken captive. He's telling you in Colossians chapter 2, take captive every thought. He's telling you over and over, be sure that you are not just going with the current of the world. Have you noticed this? Be sure you are not just going with the current. And that current was a slow drift, but that current today is a fast rapid. It is quickly going against the word of God, the way of God, the plan of God for our lives. So he's telling you and me that, that we are to fight the current of the world. In other words, you are to be a spiritual salmon. That's what you are to be. You don't get anything else from the sermon. When you leave here, go that. What did you learn in church? I learned I'm supposed to be a spiritual salmon. I'm supposed to fight against the current of the world. All the other fish are just being taken downstream. They're just going with the flow. But I am not. I'm fighting against, I'm not swimming the way everyone else is swimming. And this is what makes the Christian life difficult. Because it is much easier to just go the direction everyone else goes. And it is much easier to just go with the flow. It's much easier to just follow the current of the world. It is much more difficult to fight the current of the world and go the opposite way of which everyone else is going. And yet that is what God has called us to do. That's why as you grow in your Christian life, that's why you find increasing external pressure from people around you. Why don't you just 
be quiet? Why don't you just do what everybody else does? Why do you Christians always have to point this stuff out? Why are you always having to say this? You just think you're better than everybody else. Oh, no, 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 friend. We know who we are. We are sinners like everyone else. But there's a difference. We know who God is. And we are trying to live for God. We're not trying to live for ourselves. Christian life is difficult. Because we are fighting the current of the world. There are all kinds of people telling Christians, you just need to embrace or promote. You just need to welcome people who are living sinful lifestyles. You just need to be more welcoming to that. You need to be more listening to their hurts or needs. No, friend, we are saying this is not the way in which God has called us to live. Telling a Christian to embrace someone who is living a sinful lifestyle is a more subtle way of saying you need to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You need to sit in the seat of sinners. You need to be in the way of the scornful, which we are called to reject. It's not just the, that we're going against the current of the world. It's that we are also going against the grain of our flesh. Paul says, in me, that is, in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. The Bible teaches us as by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Why? Because all have sinned. We're all sinners. And the reason we are sinners, the reason we do sin, is because we are sinners. That's who we are. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve who sinned against God in the garden. And when we sin against God, the Bible says that our sin separates us from God. Our sin has removed us from relationship with a holy and a righteous God. And if you die separated from God in your sin in this life, the Bible says you will be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. There's two kinds of people in this room. And most people think it like this. There's two kinds of people. There's good people and there's bad people. The Bible, doesn't, the Bible doesn't communicate it like that. The Bible says there's two kinds of people in this room. There are sinners in need of forgiveness. And there are sinners who know they are forgiven. But we're all sinners. The question for you and for me is do you know you are forgiven? How do, you, how do you receive forgiveness? Because surely you've lived long enough to know you've sinned against God. So now, what will you do with your sin? How will you find forgiveness? And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Because every other religion in the world says, okay, if you're a sinner, then here's all the things you have to do in order to get right with God and earn God's forgiveness. And Christianity says, no, 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 no. There is nothing you can do. There's all in what Christ has done when he left heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died an atoning death, and then rose gloriously from the grave. And he did this for you, he says. He did this so that you and I can know that our sins are forgiven. I'm asking you this morning, have you found forgiveness of sin from God? I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you what you did yesterday. I'm not asking you what you did 10 years ago. I'm asking you, have you found forgiveness of sin from God? 
Has there been a time in your life when you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ who is the only person who can offer you forgiveness? And the reason why Jesus is the only person who can offer you forgiveness is because Jesus is the only person who is without sin. He has accomplished a righteousness. A righteousness which was inherent to himself as God and a righteousness because he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And he took that righteousness to the cross and he was made sin for us who knew who only knew sin we knew no righteousness and then he laid his life down for us on the cross have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that's what I'm asking you have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ have you found forgiveness with God if you have found forgiveness with God then why if Jesus lives in your heart and is your Savior, why would you go the way of the world? If Jesus has changed your eternal destiny, why is it that you would give in to the worldly attitudes, the worldly philosophies, the worldly ideas, and reject God in his way? Why is it you would listen to your flesh more than you would listen to him if he is your Savior? The Bible is pulling us then. If you know Jesus as your Savior, if you know who Jesus is, if you know what Jesus has done, then the love of Christ constraineth me, Paul says. That as we move closer and closer to the end, as the time in which I will see God face to face at some point or another, whether by rapture or by death, I will see God face to face. I want to know. Not only that I have been forgiven of my sins because of my faith in Jesus, but because I want to know that I've stood in the face of God and I've said, listen, I've rejected the world philosophies, I've rejected the flesh, and I lived not to myself, but to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. There's a great spiritual deception, there's a social division. Reject worldliness, reject flesh. Third, last, Jesus says you need discernment because of natural disaster. You need discernment for three reasons. Because there's a spiritual deception. You need, a, you need discernment because of social division. You need discernment, third, because of natural disaster. That's what he says, verse 8. There shall be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Now, I just want to tell you this. Jesus doesn't want us running around and every time there's an earthquake somewhere, us going, that might be the one. That's not what he wants us doing. Jesus is not telling us all of these things in order to scare us. Jesus is telling us these things in order to prepare us. See, most people, when they think about the world ending or they think about seeing God face to face, they're filled with fear. Why? Because they are not prepared to meet God. They're not ready to see God. They don't, they don't want to see God. Why? Because they've lived to the world. They live to their own flesh. Because they're lost in their sin. They're not ready to see God face to face. Jesus isn't telling us this to scare us. He's telling us it to prepare us. Of course the world will go spinning out of control. This is what he's saying. Why? Because when sin happens, sin cursed the world. So earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and all of these things, these things were not a part of God's plan. These things are a result of sin. 
Sin not just separated us from God in our flesh, not just separated us from God in the spirit, but sin also broke the world that we live in. So we see all of this heartbreak. We see all of these catastrophes that take place in our world. And we're left to scratch our head and wonder why. Why do these things happen? Why do they come with such force, such devastation? Why do these things? And as a Christian, we can step back and we can see these events and we can say, that was not a part of the plan of God. Those things are a result of sin. And oh, thanks be to God when sin is no more. And thanks be to God when he removes the things that cause such devastation and such destruction. We live with discernment in this way. We live with discernment. Why do I need discernment? Because there's spiritual deception, because of social division, because of natural disasters. We need discernment. Let me give you this to you in conclusion, all right? Just four things, write them down, right from the text. How do I get discernment then? That's why I need it. How do I get it? Four things. Quick thoughts. First, here's how you get discernment. Ready? Go to Google. No, no, that's not, that's not, that's not it. That is not it. Take a poll on your social media page. No, that is not it either. How do I get discernment? First, thank you for laughing at my joke. I know it was corny, but I appreciate the encouragement. Those are about as good as the jokes get, just so you know. First, how do I get discernment? You need to go ask God for it. First, go ask God. Look, look what happens in the text. Look at verse 4. See this phrase? Tell us, when shall these things be? So what are the disciples doing? They're going to God. How do I get discernment to navigate the circumstances of my life? Number one, go to God. Go ask him. James says it this way, James chapter 1, verse number 5. Any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You're trying to make a decision about what you should do, what you shouldn't do, what you ought to do, trying to figure it out. Have you asked God about it? Have you asked God? How do I get, how do I get discernment? Go ask God. Ask him for help. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for insight. Ask him. You need to ask God. Number two, you need to know the word of God. Number two, you need to know the word of God. Look what he says. So verse four, tell us. They wouldn't ask him. Verse five, and Jesus answering began to say. So he's given them his word. How does Jesus talk to us today? Now some people will say, well, Jesus talks to me because he shows up in the clouds. Jesus talks to me because... When I go to the beach, that's where Jesus talks to me. Listen, the primary way that Jesus will speak to you and the primary way that Jesus speaks to me is right here in his word. That's the primary way. The primary way that God speaks to us is in his word. So if, we, if we're going to have discernment, we're going to get wisdom from God, we need to know what God's word says. So you need to ask God. You need to know the word of God. Third, you need to think. You need to think on the circumstances as you go through them. Notice what he says. Look at verse number seven. And ye shall hear of fill in the blank. 
He says, you're going to hear about all kinds of things. You're going to hear of wars. You're going to hear of, of uh, trouble. You're going to hear of kingdom against kingdom. You're going to hear of earthquakes. You're going to hear about all kinds of things. And then he says this, but the end is not yet. In other words, he's saying, you're going to hear things, but you need to have the discernment to be able to reason these things out because it is not yet. In other words, there's a process of which we are filtering the things that we hear. Not everything you hear is correct. Not everything you see is correct. Not everything you feel is correct. And so how do we, how do we filter this? We filter it by reasoning it out. You hear it, think about it. The, the end is not yet. So he's saying, you need to ask, you need to know. Look, you need to think. You need to be able to have a holy checklist in your mind as you think about a particular thing that you are about to do. Does God tell me to do this? Does God tell me not to do this? Who will I hurt if I do this? How am I helped if I do this? Now, a whole filtered list that you're going through as you think about a particular thing. Number four and last. He says, these are the beginning of sorrows. So that phrase, the beginning of sorrows, we talked about this a few weeks ago. That phrase, the beginning of sorrows, is speaking of a particular time. It's speaking of the great tribulation. A tribulation when God is pouring out his wrath on the earth. It's recorded for us in the book of Revelation. God is pouring his wrath out on the earth. That's understood. That, that phrase is understood as this, this time, this beginning of sorrows. It doesn't just have to mean the time of great tribulation. It could, capital T, tribulation. It can also be a lowercase t. In this world, we have tribulation. In this world, we suffer, we hurt. So, so one of the ways that we find a discernment is by observing individuals who are going through suffering. Learning from them as they suffer. So that way, we will know how to suffer when our time comes. Adrian Rogers, a great preacher of a few decades ago, says everyone is in one of three places. You're either headed into trouble, you're in trouble, or you've just come out of trouble. You're either headed towards sorrow, you're in sorrow, or you've just come out of sorrow. How many of you, you've lived long enough to know that's true? And most people never take time to think about, what am I going to do when I get into some trouble? What am I going to do when things don't go my way? How am I going to respond when I get the worst news? What am I going to think about? Who am I going to ask? What am I going to read? Who am I going to observe? There's some great Christians in this room. Christians who have gone through deep and troubled water. They've suffered, lost a loved one, lost a child, lost a parent, 
got a bad medical diagnosis, live in pain. Wake up every day in pain. There's great Christians fill this room who'd go through these sorts of things every day. How do we gain discernment? We gain discernment by observing Christians who are suffering. Watching how they suffer. Trying to be an encouragement to them as they suffer. And all the while preparing for our own season of suffering. Lord, when I go through that, I want to I I be that gracious. Lord, when I go through that, I want to be that joyful. Lord, when I hurt like that, I, I want to have that same, kind of, that, that same kind of patience. Lord, help me to add that to my mind. Help me to use discernment. As we observe individuals who go through difficulty, can I just encourage you to, to do this, church? As we observe individuals who go through difficulty, when we see their difficulty, let's be an encouragement to them during their difficulty. Who are you encouraging? Who's in the middle of difficulty today? Who are you encouraging? Who are you encouraging? We have several families in our church. This is the first Father's Day without their father. Have you encouraged them? Have you spoken a kind word to them? Did you shoot them a text? Did you find them during the handshaking time? Give them a hug and tell them you love them? The trouble they're in. This is why God has given us the church. This is why God has given us one another. So as we observe individuals who are going through suffering, we're adding things to our own heart and mind for our own season of suffering, but we also see them go through it. And then we want to be an encouragement to them while they're in it. Let us love one another in this way.